Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Huntley, here with my co-host, Sarah Lena Sparks. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about rejections. Oh, sad, sad. So last week we talked about submitting to competitions and we thought it only makes sense to make the next episode about rejections. Not saying that you will get rejected or that you should never be hopeful, but as a playwright, as a theater artist, you... I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you this, and if I am the first person to tell you this, um, it's not the greatest thing to hear, but you know, you're going to get rejected way more than you're going to get, way more than you're going to win or get accepted, and that is just a big factor of this kind of career and this kind of lifestyle. So Mitchell and I kind of want to have some real talk, how to handle it, you know, how to handle it when other people also get rejected or if they get accepted slash win and you don't. I think it's really emotional. I mean, when you're writing a play, it is literally, it's your brain, baby. It's it's from nowhere else, unless you c- collaborate with somebody, it's from no one else but you. And it is your heart and it's your mind and it's your soul and it's everything in between. And you put it on paper and you sent it to this this competition, this place with people that you might really respect, who you really want them to, you know, see your piece and love it just as much as you do. And then sometimes they also love it and think that it's right and they choose it and that's awesome. But a lot more than not, you know, something doesn't work for them or it doesn't fit or, you know, maybe it just wasn't their style and they didn't see it the right way. But a lot of times you're going to get rejected. And that can be so hard because, you know, you put this thing out into the universe and it feels like somebody saying that they don't love it. But it's that's not necessarily true. Yeah. But it, it honestly could be true. So we just kind of want to talk about, you know, how to handle it. And, you know, it, it's it's a play. A playwrights are going to get rejected from so many things. And so we just wanted to talk about that today. Yeah, I also want to note that on your point about they maybe they don't like it, don't think it's good, or maybe they do think it's good and it just doesn't fit with what they want, which I know that's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to Sarah. Yeah, it actually has. And Mitchell was there when I got the phone call. They were like, your play's too short, sorry. But, you know, they liked it. It just, it sometimes, you know, a lot of times when you're submitting, so when we say it doesn't fit, a lot of times when you submit to something, it is not just your play that is going to be put on. Um, if it is, that must be a huge competition and it must be like a 90 minute play. So go you. But a lot of times, especially for young playwrights, it's a festival with a collection of one acts, 10 minute kind of short play scenes, this and that. Um, and so a lot of times when they're looking at plays, they start reading them and they realize there's some sort of outlining theme that they can kind of go with. They want to fit it into this festival and have this kind of angle and your play might not fit that angle, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean it's not good. A lot of times, you know, I know this has happened to Mitchell. They literally just say, I don't think there's a place for this in this festival, which is can be really heartbreaking. Just know that is not a you problem. 
It's like if you're going on dates, you know, I, you know what? That's actually a really good analogy. I feel like submitting to competitions is like finding your soulmate. You know, you might go on a date with some people and you realize, oh, you're a really good friend, but uh, this, it's not there. The spark's not there. Uh, we're not, we shouldn't Says continue this. Uh-huh. We shouldn't continue this. I don't think... We're soulmates, but I think you're really cool, and I'm glad that you met you, that I met you. And sometimes it's that, you know? Sometimes it's a, well, this really isn't going to work out at all. Thank you. Goodbye. And then sometimes, you know, you click with something, with someone, I don't know, something, someone, a competition, or your soulmate, I don't know what I'm talking about now. But you click, <laughs> and sometimes it works, and that's really awesome, and, you know, sparks fly, sparks again, that doesn't happen all the time. And so it is kind of like a, it's like a relationship. So yeah, don't expect the best, but also don't expect the worst. Just kind of know that you gave it your all. And I think that's the best way to handle that. I myself have a nasty habit of assuming the worst. So I understand the natural inclination to find like the tiny hole in your work and you go, Oh, I messed it up entirely. Cause I mean, like I said, perfect work often is not the one that gets chosen and imperfect work can get chosen. I think you should definitely submit with an open mind. And it's really just saying, hey, this is what I have. Do you think it works with you? And sometimes they say, I like it, but it doesn't work with us. And sometimes they say, I'm sorry, I don't like it. But that's really their opinion. And it's your piece. It's your thought, baby. So continue that analogy. So love it. Give it your love. And I think kind of in the in the taking it bad, I think there is like a second day rule because the first day you hear, oh, I didn't get this competition. Oh, I, I lost. I think immediately that's disappointing to anybody, no matter how you know, gritty they are. I think that's, you know, if you cared about it, it's probably going to be really disappointing to you. It could be a little heartbreaking. For that first night, my piece of advice would be, you know, you are allowed to be disappointed and frustrated and you put in all this hard work and you feel like you didn't get acknowledged. That's totally justifiable. I say don't go too deep into that little black hole because it's really not healthy. But I think when there's a big problem is that when it comes, you know, second day, second week, and you're still feeling like that, that is when you need to really take a step back and, you know, realize that it's not all about you. Not in like a selfish way, but as human beings, we think that we learned in AP Psych what this was called. I think it's called the spotlight effect. As human beings, we tend to think, you know, everybody's always thinking about us and what we do. And it's kind of like that walking in the halls and feeling like everybody's looking at you kind of thing. And it's really not, you know, my dad tells me this all the time. He goes, it's just honestly not about you. Sometimes, you know, it's not that your play wasn't great. It's just that maybe another person's play really connected with somebody because they had the shared experience of something, you know, but you're not getting rejected most of the time, at least, because you are the worst person in the world. And I think you really have to remember that. And, you know, we're playwrights. We feel things. We feel things really hard. And then we put them on paper. You don't need to feel that that hard. You can take yourself out of that picture, you know, put it into the bigger context that it is. And, you know, 
allow yourself to get out of that mindset. I think especially as the days go by, it should be getting easier. You might have one day where it's like, you know what? It really sucks. I wish I had gotten that. Totally okay. But, you know, let it kind of like get off of you in a sense. And something sometimes that can make rejections really hard is when you know somebody who maybe got accepted or maybe they won. You know, Mitchell and I have been in that instance together before. We saw the same competition, but yeah, what? Not the same competition, but it was. Yes, we have. Oh, wait, you're right. Yes, we have. We've done both. We've done (laughs) both. We've done done so many that we don't even remember anytime. But yeah, so that can really like feel like a stab in the back sometimes you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it it sucks, and honestly, it's sucky on both ends, Yeah, you know? If you are a playwright, you often surround yourself with people who think like you, you know, like the human beings we are, and so, you know, me and Mitchell are the same way. We have a ton of playwright friends, and naturally, we apply for the same things, and we talk to each other about it. And sometimes one person's going to get it and the other person isn't. And it's really awkward. Like I said, on both ends, you know, mm-hmm. unless your friend is a complete egomaniac, they probably feel bad, too, if they won kind of like winner's guilt almost. Yeah. Because if they're your friend, they're rooting for you, too. And everybody wishes that, you know, we could all get this like together. Yeah. And often, oftentimes, because very few people get acceptances, Oftentimes you and if you have other friends, you probably both get rejected. And that's honestly probably one of the best ways to have like a support system because you have somebody who is going through the exact same thing and you can both be a support system for each other. And that's something that's really nice to have sometimes, although it does. I've been in many situations where one person has gotten it and I haven't. And and I get it. It's really awkward. It's. But also, I've been I've been on the other end too. I'm pretty sure. I've been on the other end. I see. I can't remember anymore because I've just submitted too many times. I've been on the other end, and it's not a nice situation. Yeah, it's not a nice situation. You really just have to be humble and respect the other person's feelings. Yeah, I think for me personally, I don't know if other people would agree with this, but I'd say be upfront. You know, not disrespectful, but if you have lost and you need a minute, I would tell that person who won, like, I am so happy for you. I'm not going to lie. You know, this competition meant a lot to me and I'm having a hard time. I'm happy for you, but I just need to go and like be mine by myself for a little bit. You know, I wish you all the best, but I also need a, just a little bit of me time. And I think on the receiving end of that, that's really nice. Cause like I said, I think sometimes if you win something and your friend doesn't, I think you feel really guilty sometimes. And, but you also don't want to feel like, you know, your friend doesn't support you or feel like, you know, your friend is angry at you. So I think if we all just go in there and be like, I understand we all have feelings and I'm going to go feel my feelings over here and you go feel your feelings over there. But you know, I still love you and you're still my friend. And I'd say, you know, that I still love you and I'm still your friend is something that can cure a lot of things in life. So never That's forget to say that. That's the most important. Yeah. 
never forget to say that to your friends. If you're going through this thing, just be like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to cool off a little bit. I, I'm going to have a minute to myself. And that can be really healthy for both of you guys. And I think that's a healthy way of dealing with it, because I have seen these types of things get really in between friendships. And, you know, I feel like I've been in the middle of it. I've seen it. It's not cute. Nobody likes it. And so these are just kind of my tips of how to avoid the awkward and avoid, you know, I never want to lose a friend. And so this is a way to kind of avoid that, that meanness that nobody wants. Yeah. Now let's talk about something you might get or might be offered to you by the competition. I know some competitions out there offer this, but let's talk about feedback. Feedback, feedback. So feedback is really, really wonderful thing because when you don't get it, you get rejected and you don't know why and you create the reasons in your head. And sometimes, you know, we are literally, Awful. we're playwrights. <laughs> we're imaginative people. We can go to really far extremes as to why people don't like our plays, you know, because, you know, your brain works in that way to imagine those types of things. So most of the time, it's literally never a tenth as bad as you put it. <laughs> Uh, sometimes, sometimes you're sometimes you're really surprised by how people yeah. interpret what you write. Yeah, sometimes you know it. Honestly, it might be bad. <laughs> sometimes you submit to a competition and they might genuinely just really not like it, and there's nothing you can. Maybe do they had a bad it. day or having a stomach yeah, ache or something, exactly. and they're just finding and that's why reasons I said in your it's play. Like dating, it's like dating. Sometimes <laughs> you're gonna fall in love with a person, and they're just not gonna feel it, and it's gonna be really heartbreaking. But you know, and they're gonna be really gotta, forthright about what they don't like, and you're gonna be like, yes, oh gosh, was not really expecting awful. that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it can be nice. Just, you know, have an open mind. So feedback. Like Mitchell was saying, some competitions will offer it. Some competitions won't. I know a competition that I submitted to recently said only finalists would get feedback. Um, and like that we're in the finalist grouping because it's just so big. And then honestly, they don't have time to write a whole bunch of feedback. If like 200 people submit their plays, they already have to read 200 plays. So that's quite a yeah. lot. If you do have feedback or if you have the option to get feedback, I know a lot of like competitions will also have you check something. If you want feedback, 100% do that. You know, I think a lot of people are scared to get feedback because they're scared to see if somebody says something negative. But, you know, always look at it as like a learning opportunity. You know, somebody might say something and it might spark something in your head of, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I should have done that. Whoa. Oh. I'm off today. Sometimes, you know, people might have not fully read the play, which has happened to me before. And so they're confused about something that definitely happened. But you never know. <laughs> had that. Had that. So many times. You never, you never know. So please get the feedback. Mitchell, could you talk to us about, you know, asking for feedback? Uh, asking for feedback is terrifying. But I know Mitchell has done this before. I did this recently, actually. Yeah. Asking for feedback, it sounds terrifying. I'd argue it is terrifying, especially if you know the people who are running the whole thing. I'd say it's equally terrifying if you don't know the people. I Yeah. Personally, I'd say it's less terrifying if I don't know them, because then I'd be OK with my with my asking for feedback going out into the void and never getting answered. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know them, but be asking for feedback after a competition when you know that you've gotten rejected, it's it's honestly really terrifying up front, but really it's a relief when you get it back. Because oftentimes, because you don't know why they didn't take it, you've built up this fear about what it is about your writing that they didn't like. Maybe they you think, oh, they didn't understand it, or or, or they, they were offended by it, or something like that, when you're really just making up in your mind. And asking for feedback, especially like a day or two or a little days after once you've cooled down, just composing like a nice email being like, hi, I just want to know what your thoughts were on this play. I know you didn't choose it. I just want to know what you thought of it. Yeah, definitely write it with a level head. Do not, you know. Never write it without a level head. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, asking for feedback, it sounds terrifying, but it's so nice and it really helps I think it gives you a perspective to see maybe they didn't fully understand a certain thing that you were clear about because you wrote this thing and rewrote it and edited it. So you've seen all these lines a million times. So you know what they're talking about. Maybe they didn't. And it just shows you important things that that you can look at and improve upon in further drafts. And it really destroys the scare monster, fear monster (laughs) that can often appear when you get a rejection and it's really worth it unless they say you can't you can't ask for feedback yeah so when can you ask for feedback and when can you not ask for feedback first i would read the submission guidelines and all the rules if there is anything about feedback if it says only the finalists will receive feedback do not ask for feedback if it says Um, if it doesn't say anything about feedback and you don't get any, I would ask because they were unclear. Yeah. But if they do have like a rule in there about who's getting it and, you know, or who's not getting it, I would follow those. Worst comes to worst for the ones that don't specify is they say, we're sorry, we're not offering feedback. Although it shows initiative, which if you, if it's a recurring competition would show that you want to improve and that would actually be a good thing if they're not doing a blind reading. But but something that you really don't want to happen is to ask for feedback and then, you know, then be like, oh, as you can see in our rule book, meaning that you didn't read the rule book, you know, we are not giving feedback. So that's what you don't want to happen. So honestly, just read the rules. You know, if it says... If it says only the 10 finalists will be getting feedback, that means that if you weren't a finalist, you're not getting feedback. You know, read those lines. Then you can maybe do a reading with your friends and figure out what they think, and that's a way to improve. But if they say only finalists get feedback and you're not a finalist, that's probably one of your best options. I have a question. This is a little bit off topic, but I feel like it's still helpful. Mitchell, do you ever do readings before you submit to things? Yes, I do. I did. For the one I had to ask about feedback afterwards, I did do a reading of it. Be sure we'll talk. We'll do an actual episode on readings, but I would highly suggest if you are submitting to a competition, do a reading with your friends. I definitely have not done that. I've only done a reading for like my first play ever. This is really bad practice. I still have a copy of the first play. I, I won a competition and they asked me, they're like, oh, how many times have you seen this? Have you ever heard? It? I hadn't ever read it out loud before with a group of people before I submitted <laughs> it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm just realizing that I've never heard these words 
ever said out loud until the competition, until I was there and like casting people for it. So that was, I felt, oh man, that was something that was probably professional and probably could have helped and it probably could have done. But you just so, flexed on everyone listening because that means you had really good dialogue without hear, ever hearing it. No, but then I heard it and I revised most <laughs> of the dialogue. Yeah. So, you know, just a side note. Have, have a reading with feedback before you submit to a competition. Like Mitchell said, we'll or, do another episode Or, or before, that. I know I have a play that I'm going to be releasing in the coming, like, weeks. And I'm trying to get a reading done of it. It's hard to do, I say it's actually hard to do it in quarantine. Because everyone's now fitting more things into their schedule. But when we're not in quarantine. And you can't bribe people, you know? Yes! Okay, I, we're going to talk about this as a tangent, but... Talk about in the reading episode, but... <laughs> To get people to come, you offer food. food, pizza, yeah, need food. snacks, it works. It mm-hmm. is, works so well. You just you offer food. People like food. And they will come. And then we'll, we'll talk about more about this in our, another episode about uh, readings. Now that we've talked about rejections and gone on our little tangent... Tangent? Did I say that word right? I don't know. If you Tangerine. From listening, <laughs> I don't say many words correctly. So after going on our tangerine, um, after going on our tangerine, I make things up all the time. I called the ocean beach water the other day. And she Mitchell did. Gave me, Mitchell gave me a fun time with that one. So <laughs> now Mitchell has a little game for me to play. I have a game. A game. I have a game. I have a game. Oh man, I think we haven't played a game in a long time. I haven't played a game in a while. I think last time we played a game was what was that like? Before our OSHA series. That was, oh my gosh, that was, that was May. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. I don't think, sir, have you played a game in a long time? I don't think you've played a game. I haven't. I think the last was game was, Jared. Yeah, yeah, last game was with Jared. So we're going to be playing a game. I found, it's a game about rejection. And I like to call it. Guess who got rejected? So I found a, uh. I found a list of authors, famous authors, who pr- you probably heard of got rejected. And I, I have descriptions of them, of what happened when they got rejected and how many times they got rejected, all this stuff. And I'm going to read it. And then Sarah is going to guess which author it is. I think this is just going to make me look like illiterate and like <laughs> not well read. OK, well, let's start. OK. OK. Question one. Person one. Okay. Rejected by 27 publishers, this author was on his way home to burn his manuscript when he ran into an old school acquaintance. When asked what he was carrying, the author replied, a book no one will publish. I'm lugging it home to burn. The acquaintance, an editor of children's books, insisted on seeing it. The book was published to rave reviews. This author went on to write over 60 children's books. He would say later of the fortuitous meeting, quote, if I'd been going down the other side of Madison Avenue, I'd be in the dry cleaning business today. Who is this, Sarah? Also, I just love how dramatic writers are. What what did he say? Like a book no one will read and like burn. I'm lugging it home to burn. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, okay, a children's author? Over 60 children's books, and this book was published to rave reviews. Dr. Seuss? You are correct. Oh, go me. Go me. I'll keep this I'll keep this in my uh, back pocket because often I have to remind Mitchell of people who have been rejected <laughs> when he gets rejected and feels really bad about it. I have to be like, oh, but Dr. Seuss also got rejected, so it's okay. Well, I didn't know about Dr. Seuss, so I'm adding him to my book. <laughs> yeah, okay. Number two. This author completed her first manuscript at the age of 22. She submitted to many publishers only to receive a stream of rejections. She sought the advice of a family friend writer who introduced her to his own literary agent who rejected the manuscript but suggested she write a second novel. This author's first novel was never published. Her second novel was also repeatedly rejected before being finally published on the agreement that she changed the ending. This author went on to have a prolific career, writing 72 novels and 15 short story collections. Who is this? I feel like I might know who this is. You might. Would I? I feel like you might. I would tell you her genre, uh, but that would give it away. Um. Do you want to want a hint? I can give you a hint. Yeah. One of her writings was the longest running play on the West End. I don't know. She's British. I don't know what the longest running <laughs> play on the West End was. Do you, do you give up? Um, yeah. Agatha Christie. Oh, dude! Was, was that your thought? You're like, it's Agatha Christie, I think, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, okay, the thing is, I have no idea. I'm thinking about like all the time periods, you know? Yeah. So I wasn't sure. Oh, I love Agatha Christie. Good old Aggie. <laughs> the play, by the way, is Mousetrap. Agatha mouse Christie's trap. The Mousetrap. The Mousetrap. Ex- Inspector General. Yeah, it's it ran for Inspe- so long. In- Inspector Detective General? I don't know. I like the names in that um, <laughs> book. Okay, anyway, go on. Okay. Go on, go on. All right, speaking of time periods. Stick to your teaching. You can't write. Those were the words of one publisher who passed over the manuscript for this author's most famous novel. This author ignored his advice, and the book went on to be well-received, with one reviewer stating it was, quote, the very best of books to reach the hearts of the young of any age from 6 to 60. It is still a classic 150 years later. 150 years later? And it is a woman. I didn't mention that. But yes, it's a woman. 150 years later. And it's a woman? Mm-hmm. What did, the, what did the publisher say again? Stick to your teaching. You can't write. I, I edited out the name of the author. Yeah. Miss Blank. Is it? It's not my girl, is it? Is it? Isn't my girl Mary Shelley? It is not Mary Shelley. Oh, okay. It is Louisa May Alcott. Oh, Little, okay, the book okay, was, okay. Still a wonderful girl, The manuscript girl, by the way. was Little Women, by the way. Still a wonderful girl. Still a wonderful book. Um, wonderful, for those of you who don't film know, too. I'm obsessed. 
Uh, yes. For those of you who don't know, I, and a musical. I'm obsessed with yes. um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, or the modern okay. Prometheus, yes. Yes, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Okay, next one. <laughs> this one. Okay. This best-selling author has sold over 450 million books and is worth more than $1 billion. Mm, I feel like I know who this is. <laughs> Stop me if you know it. Her life is a classic rags-to-riches tale going from unemployed single mother, quote, as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless, to one of the wealthiest women in Britain, this author just... Dis- Isn't it J.K. Rowling? I just say that, but at the end, this author has been can- yes. thoroughly cancelled. Yes, thoroughly cancelled. <laughs> for her views, Yikers. for transphobic views. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yes. We are both covering our eyes in that TikTok way that people do. Never been on, um, on TikTok. Did you know that she's like worth more than the Queen of England? No way. I think so. I'm looking this up. Hold on. Well, because she gets paid every time somebody says Harry Potter. I don't think the Queen gets paid. You just paid her right then. You said it. Well, no, I didn't mean it like that. Like when you like all the merch has to give her some money. Yikers. Yikers. All right. I'm looking at the Queen's. Why did you have to say that? Oh, my God. She is has a she's more net worth than the Queen. I know. Why did she have to say that? Because she holds transphobic views. That way. Why do you have to think that way? I don't, don't get don't it. Don't come I, to me. <laughs> I can't speak for her. I don't understand how you just naturally think like a bigot. I remember um, seeing, talking about, <laughs> I remember reading about how in The Deathly Hallows, she understands it. Her, she writes it in a way that she talks about Hermione when she becomes Harry. She still yes, goes by I female pronouns. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she knows it in her writing, but not in herself. Yeah. Strange, strange, strange. By the way, I'm just going to point out, she sent her finished manuscript to 12 different publishers, and they all rejected it. That was the important part. Unfortunately, yes. her transphobia has overstayed everything. Yeah. All right, let's do one more. Final one. Number yes. five. All right, number five? Yeah, I'll sure. Stop. You can check. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I think so, I think so. <laughs> you I, think I'm I do little... math? Okay. You saw my SAT math score. Yoik! <laughs> Okay, next one. Okay. This author was the first to reject his own story. After writing a frustrating first draft and feeling that he was wasting his time creating a book that wouldn't sell, he threw it out. The next day, he found that his wife had pulled the papers out of the trash and wanted him to finish it. He went on to finish and submit it to a publisher who passed it over with the comment, We're not interested in science fiction, which deals with negative utopias. The manuscript was rejected 30 times before being picked up by Doubleday. It went on to sell over a million copies and become a successful film. Since then, this author has published over 54 novels, 200 short stories, and won numerous awards for his contributions to literature. Yes, it is Stephen King. Ding, ding, wonderful, ding. wonderful, wonderful writer. By the way, I don't know if they said it in your little snippet, but it was um, Carrie. By the way, that was the story. Stephen King has this wonderful thing that I have also adapted. He has a spike, and every time he gets rejected, he puts 
like I think when he was younger, I can't imagine anybody reading like being like, oh, Stephen King sent us a manuscript. Let's not publish it. Now that spike's been collecting. He has this spike that he would like put. You know how like when you go to a restaurant, they have like the receipts on a spike. Well, his looked like a Game of Thrones looking spike, (laughs) like intimidating like that. Right. And every time he would get a like rejection letter, he would put it on the spike. And he said, you know, it was like completely full of rejections. And I thought that was really cool. And my dad wanted me to start doing it. <laughs> I should so, I should do that. It'd be pretty, I encourage. I mean, it's, it's I might cut like, myself on the spike accidentally, though, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, if I haven't, then you won't. I'm pretty clumsy. <laughs> Okay, now with all these fun and games for rejections, um, Mitchell and I also want to have a little bit of real talk. Real talk. A little bit of playwright to playwright talk. Playwright to playwright to playwright. Yes, rejections are really, really hard. And like I said earlier, it's kind of that second day, second week kind of rule. If you can't handle rejections and it is just a constant pull at you and if you notice a pattern of every time you submit to something if you feel like every time you get rejected you feel like you know the earth is coming down and you have a really difficult time getting out of that that is something that you need to take into mind if this is you know something that you want to go into granted me and Mitchell we're still both students you know we don't have all the ethos in the world, but this business, from what I have seen, you need to have that grit in that thick skin. And if, you know, if getting rejected is going to hurt your mental health constantly, maybe this isn't the best fit for you. And that does not mean you have to ever stop writing plays. You are a playwright, whether you are published, whether you are produced, whether you are recognized, you can write plays for the rest of your life. But if this is something that you really want to do, that you want to make a living off of, that you can't imagine doing anything else, please take that in mind. Because, I mean, I can only imagine that this business can get really really hard sometimes and you never want to put yourself in a unhealthy situation so that's just something to think about you know if you're going into college you're applying for colleges and stuff and thinking what do I want to do with my life you always have to see you know is this kind of career path the right fit for me and I don't think people take into account emotional compatibility with a career because that's a real thing if you know like people say they can't imagine sitting at a desk their whole life if you can't imagine having your work critiqued your entire life you know even if you do get on stage you get published all of that you know you could have a critic come and you know shit on your work basically yeah and it might get a lot of backlash and if that's something that you don't think is right for you and you think will be damaging to your mental health, I think it's worth examining whether that is a field that is worth it or not. With that in mind, if you do have a play, we would love to read it and we'd love to give it a reading here on the Player Repertory Podcast. I know we haven't done a reading 
in a long time because of the OSHA project. And now we have these two episodes about competitions, but we'd love to do a reading of your show. And if you'd like to submit, the link is tinyurl.com slash PRP submit. And that's tinyurl.com slash PRP submit. And for those of you who have submitted and you're waiting, we actually have been and we're so grateful to everybody who has submitted. We have a good amount of submissions at the moment. So don't expect um, something super quick. Our schedule is actually pretty packed for the next couple of months. But um, don't worry, we will get to you. We and will. if you ever have any questions, please feel free to DM us or email us. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about playwriting, storytelling, how to work with people, and, you know, hear other students' really awesome plays, go ahead and listen to our past couple of episodes. You can find us on everywhere, almost. Yeah. iTunes, podcasts. Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts. You can ask your Alexa to play us, I believe. Stitcher, if you're on that. Stitcher? I barely know what Stitcher is. Neither do I. Spotify. If you have one, we're there. Oh, Spotify, we're there. That's a big one. Um, Go ahead and take a listen to those episodes. If you're not already listening to us on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. And Mitchell, do you have any final thoughts? Don't let the fear monster win. Oh, that's a good one. Thanks for listening. See you next week.